us tonight. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we hear about people or management cleaning house, uh, we think about how they're going to change their organization uh, with an out with the old, in with the new frame of mind. Uh, they see problems, and uh, they are going to eliminate those problems, at least try to, and, and so they, they venture forth to restore order uh, by doing certain things that they hope and maybe even pray might put uh, things uh, back in place or make things better than they were, but they are certainly trying to bring order where that's been lacking. Among other things, we find the Christ, who just spoke of judgment to Jerusalem, doing uh, as the one who brings judgment, uh, is, is, he's now bringing judgment to his temple, as the Lord of the temple. He, he spoke about judgment to come, and now he seeks to bring judgment uh, to his temple as Lord of it. Uh, Jesus comes to clean house, as it were, to purify his cleansing of the temple is indicative of a greater cleansing that he would carry out as the one who would bring sanctity and, and order to people's lives and to the world as well. Uh, Christ's view and his treatment of the temple of the Lord is certainly in contrast to the sellers that were in the temple. Even as his word in the temple is viewed in a contrasting way by the leaders of the people and some of the people themselves, of course. But we're going to focus on both sets of these conflicting views, these differing views on holy things, one having to do with the temple of the Lord, the other having to do with the word of the Lord. Another way you might look at it is to say uh, there is these different, differing views uh, of holy things, uh, the worship of the Lord and the word of the Lord. But uh, such opposing views to holy things have their modern day equivalent. Uh, opposing views and treatments of matters uh, given by God and to be treated reverentially, whether it has to do with the worship of the Lord or whether it has to do with the word of the Lord. Well, we're going to be looking first of all at the contrasting views, the opposing views, of the temple of the Lord, dealing with the worship of the Lord that way. The sellers at the temple look at the temple differently than Christ and how God intended, and that's why Christ comes in to clean house. The sellers are condemned by Jesus. Uh, they're not condemned strictly for selling. It's made evident by, evident by the text that the reason that they're condemned is because on the one hand, they are not respecting the temple, and on the other hand, they are dishonest in their approaches. Jesus defines the contrast. The house of prayer of God is treated as a den of robbers or thieves. Jesus captions uh, the, the reasons for his actions. Uh, we read that he drives out those who, who sold, saying to them, it's written, my house shall be a house of prayer, uh, but you have made it 
a den of robbers. There's different approaches here, that's for sure. A holy house or temple on the one hand, and then a primitive cave on the other hand. The temple of God has become like a hideout for shysters. And in the name of religion, dishonesty is condoned. So it wasn't so much the selling then, because all kinds of people sell things. Uh, Jesus would point out that that's a normal way of life, when people both buy and sell, just like they marry and give in marriage. It's an ordinary process of living. And so the problem is not selling, per se. It's the kind of selling that's taking place and where it's taking place. The temple of the Lord had become a place of convenience where people could come and exchange money so that they could make the proper temple offering. And it was also a place where you could buy animals for sacrifice. But obviously, there were some shenanigans going on. And people were taking advantage of people for the convenience that they were able to offer them. Dishonest people were robbing in the name of of religion. And then on top of that, the outer court of the temple, which was re reserved for Gentile worship, was being used as a marketplace. People were deprived of their opportunity for worship. All of that was sacrilege to the Lord. Religion was being used as a means to siphon money from people. And at the same time, people were being deprived of their ability to worship because selling was taking precedence. Now today, in the name of religion, many siphon thousands and even millions of dollars from people week to week and throughout the years uh, by, by various forms of, of media. And they promise much, and they provide little. They dupe their people to believe that if they only made their leaders wealthy, they in turn, over the course of time, sooner or later, would be made rich by God. And so people by the tens of thousands are more than happy to open their purses and their pocketbooks and their wallets uh, to satisfy such financial altar calls and to satisfy their own hope that uh, such Suppose that godliness will lead to great gain for themselves. Not in the spiritual end of things, but on the monetary side of things. And it's a name it and claim it mentality which normally just leaves the, the church shysters with claiming and leaves the members wanting, wondering when their financial ships are going to come in and they never do. Such organizations are no less the dens of robbers. And when Jesus spoke in these tones, they were ominous tones because he quotes uh, from Jeremiah 7, verse 11. And it's in that time where the people of that time thought that they had security in that temple, even though they lived like robbers. And God said to them through Jeremiah that they would gain no solace in some conceived permanence of the temple. 
exile was theirs to come. God was going to remove the temple, just like he had removed the worship area of Shiloh in those days. And, and that kind of a removal uh, is also something that would have been anticipated of Herod's temple in the days of AD 70 as well. Jesus, of course, is seeking to purify what requires purification. And he views this temple as it is, the habitation of the Lord in need of sanctity and cleansing. Jesus sees the importance, the reverence of worship, and it's not supposed to be sullied by corruption of any kind. God deserves his due in worship, and, and what is due him is what is to be presented in holiness and reverence. He's to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. But what Jesus does in cleansing the temple is also a foreshadowing of greater cleansing to come. It speaks to us of the, of the, the general principle that Jesus comes to carry out, that he comes to purify. He comes to purify. Malachi 3 verse 1 says that the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and that he will purify the sons of Levi. And Jesus is exactly that person. He's the divine purifier, not just of his temple, but of his people and of his world. What Jesus does in the temple is what he does in us individually and corporately when we're Christians. So that individually and corporately we might be the holy dwelling of the Holy Spirit and we can live in a sanctified way. Because when we're Christians, right, we confess that he's purified, he's He's made us right with God. When we are Christians, we confess that He also calls us and works in us by His Holy Spirit, His sanctifying work throughout our lives. And we confess as Christians that He will glorify us one day through faith in Him. Not only that, but His cleansing work rooted at the cross will result in the cleansing of this entire world. The curse has come to the world through sin, but that curse will one day be lifted through the righteous work of Christ. And unlike the first Adam, who is the cause of the curse, Jesus is the cause of the cleansing and the blessing and the removal of the curse, which will once again become then the sanctified dwelling it was intended to be, that creation, so that God and a and a renewed humanity may dwell in a, in a glorious communion. That's where things are heading. Christ's temple cleansing is pointing us in hope in that direction. It's calling us to find our cleansing in Him through faith, and He's calling us to live sanctified lives in love as His temples, the saints of God. This is, this is the importance of the, the temple cleansing for us, right? It points us ahead in hope. 
It calls us to find our cleansing in Him through faith, and it's calling us to live sanctified lives in love as His temples. Faith, hope, and love are those things to which this temple cleansing is pointing as we look at this passage. We also have, beyond just the different views that are here between in the worship of God between the den of robbers and the house of prayer, but we also have different views of the word of the Lord here in this passage. The leaders of the people want to see that Jesus is destroyed. Uh, we hear that in our passage. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. That's their response to the word. So why are they doing that? Why do they want him destroyed? Because ironically, and you find this as you continue to read in the book of Luke, they view him as a robber. They, review, they view Jesus as a robber. That he's a rebel that's worthy of death. While, while Jesus has it right that there was robbery where there should have been prayer, the opposition against Jesus views Jesus as the robber. Now, I'm not pulling that out of thin air. It, it, this is what goes on later on in, in the Gospel of Luke. Not long from now, Jesus' opponents are going to act in the opposite fashion of Jesus. Right? Jesus wanted the temple to be a house of prayer, and he eradicates the robbers. But the leaders come to the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke 22, and you remember what happened in Gethsemane, right? It was a place of prayer. You might consider it a, a house of prayer of sorts. He, he prayed there for three times in that house, in that garden. And in the aftermath of those prayers, here comes his opponent to eradicate from the garden the one they view as a robber. How do we know that? Because Luke 22, 52 tells us that Jesus says to them, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? Now that happens in part because Jesus is to take the place of sinful humanity, right? He who knew no sin becomes sin for us so that we might know the righteousness of God. <clears throat> but, he, but we also see in that reversal that the value system of the unbelieving world is completely upside down. Jesus views the temple as a prayer place not for robbers. But the leaders of unbelief view Jesus, the prayer as a robber worthy of death. Not as the Holy One of Israel that he really was. And so when the word of the Lord comes to them, like we said earlier, the, the truth of these words is hidden from their eyes. It wasn't that his word wasn't true. It wasn't that the word was not packaged properly. It wasn't that he has, he has reasoned wrongly. 
right? Sometimes we run into those kind of encounters ourselves, right? We say, well, you know, did I, did I bring the word in love? Did I, did I bring the word truthfully? Did, did, I, did I screw up? Did I mess up when it comes to, 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 to being logical and reasonable? Why, why aren't my kids responding? Why aren't uh, my friends responding? Why aren't my neighbors responding? Whatever it might be. Now, Jesus, we hear plainly that he was teaching daily in the temple. There were those who, who hung on his words, but it wasn't, it wasn't that what he was teaching was false or that he was out of his mind or he's unreasonable. The truth was plain. He was the great prophet. The problem is that these things are hidden from them. It's, it's, sim it's similar to what we hear in verse 42. Would that you even, you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. Grace isn't known. What Jesus has to say sounds in their ears like that which is not worthy of hearing, and that, in fact, is worthy of death. The words of peace and of life and of direction and salvation are viewed in opposite ways, in opposing ways. And that's how unbelief looks at the gospel. The gospel's a threat. The church of Jesus Christ is a threat. Jesus is a threat. Christianity will lead people into chaotic circumstances. Christianity will lead people back into the dark ages. Christianity will cramp me. Christianity will keep me from having fun. Christianity will enslave me. Christianity will not give the answers that I need. Christianity will not make my life the way that I want my life to be. It's not that the Word is not able to do those things in grace. It's that unbelief doesn't want it. And that's sad. But thankfully, there is a different way that people were looking at the words of the Lord. And we see that in our text. There were those who were hanging on the words of the Lord. And they were ordinary people. We hear that the enemies of Jesus could not do anything about what he was saying. Not in public anyway. Why not? For one thing, he was right but also because they were afraid of the people. They could not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his words. And so, as they were afraid of the people, they would not approach Jesus in the light. They would approach Jesus in the darkness. And that's darkness for you. If you're doing the right thing, you don't have to hide in the darkness, do you? When people say nothing good happens after midnight, there's a, there's a lot of reasons for that. But but why do, why do they happen after midnight? It's because that's the time of shame. That's when we do things that we're not proud to do. We wouldn't dare do them in the light. We wouldn't dare do them when other people are aware of them. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They hid. 
But when you're in the right, you don't have to be afraid. But these are afraid. And they fear the masses. They fear those who hang on Jesus' word. We're to be hanging on every word of Jesus. And that should be enough for us. If we're not hanging on the words of the Lord, we're going to be the lesser for it. And we're not ready then to cope with what's happening to us. We're not ready to face those things. Instead of listening to the shepherd's voice, we find ourselves going our own way because we know it better. We have to have the attitude instead that we have nowhere else to go because with him are the words of eternal life. He's got the words of light for our path. So we take the time to read the Word daily. We don't just live our lives and say, well, this is what I think. Well, what does the Word say? Well, I just, this is what I think. Crack open your Bible and find what the Word says before you speak words yourself. And so we take the time to read the Word daily. We take the time to to hear the word in worship. We want, we want to take the time to rally around the word with others. We hang on Jesus' words. Because we know that we don't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. And so God help us to, to revere what's holy, be it in our worship of the Lord or His words of eternal life. And if we do that, it may make us look different from the rest of the world. But that's okay. Because that's what we're called to be when we're believers in Christ. That's what we're called to be when we're followers of Christ. That's what we're called to be. It's the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's take a moment to respond in prayer.